Romans chapter 6. This is a continuation of our series, um, Devotional Disciplines. I've been calling it Back to Basics, Habits of Righteousness. And these are just the basic spiritual life skills that we need to be successful Christians. All of them, remember, are a response to the Holy Spirit. They're not just merely habits like you might have that, a habit of brushing your teeth before you go to bed or have a habit of uh, taking your vitamins in the morning. Those are nice habits, but these habits are specifically a response to uh, the Holy Spirit. Remember, our first one was prayer. Responding to the Holy Spirit's call to pray. Not just praying what I'm thinking about, what I like, but discerning what the Holy Spirit's will is, what His purpose is, what His work is in my life, in the lives of those around me, my church, my family, and then praying according to His will. The second discipline was the discipline of meditation. And the discipline of meditation is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my conscious thinking and align my thoughts with God's Word by taking His Word and thinking on it. The third discipline was the discipline of giving, not just giving purposelessly, but giving because the Holy Spirit has called me to give. And then the fourth meditation, the fourth discipline was the discipline of responding to the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And remember, being filled with the Spirit is not me getting what I want. Being filled with the Spirit is the Holy Spirit getting what he wants. We looked at the discipline of gratitude. Again, a conscious effort as I walk in the Spirit to express my thanks to God for his goodness to me. And now the discipline of victorious Christian living is a daily struggle against sin, against uh, sin's temptations, against our old man's warped thinking. This too is a response to the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate that with a, a made-up story. Imagine with me a child. It's around Christmas time, and I don't know about your family, but my family has some special uh, desserts that we make around Christmas time. So imagine this young boy's family has some special desserts, some special Christmas cookies that they make around Christmas time. And I do remember being a boy, my mom making cookies and saying, you can have one. Right? So we took our one, we ate it, and then she puts the rest aside. Maybe they're cooling on a cooling rack there, and she says, Now, I don't want you to eat anymore. You've had your cookie. Now, if she leaves the kitchen, you know what the temptation is for a young boy? It's to take another cookie. In fact, maybe take two or three cookies. And if he's not very smart, he doesn't realize that his mother has counted all the cookies. She knows how many should be there when she comes back. Or maybe he thinks if he rearranges them, she won't notice that one is missing. But the temptation is, do I take a cookie or do I not take a cookie? You see, if he wants to obey his mother, he can't take a cookie. If he wants just to do what he wants to do, we'll call it gratifying the flesh, he's going to take a cookie. And that's a simple illustration to help us understand what goes on in our own lives. When we learn to respond to the Holy Spirit, we quickly realize that in order to say yes to sin, we have to tell the Holy Spirit, no, I'm not interested in what you have. I don't want what you want. I, you're, what you want for my life is not what I want for my life. In order to say yes to gratifying the flesh. 
Or if we say, Holy Spirit, I want what you want for my life. I want God's will for my life. I want what's best for me. We've got to say no to gratifying the flesh. No to what I want to do. That's hard. That's really hard. In fact, if we had to do that in our own strength, it would be impossible. I'm not asking you to try harder because we can never try hard enough. I'm reminding you of that verse from last week. We mentioned 1 Corinthians 15:57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. And I asked us two questions. I'm, I tweaked them this week, just to make sure you're paying attention. I asked two questions last week. Last week I said, who gives us the victory? This week, let's change it around and ask the question, what does God give us according to 1 Corinthians 15:57? And the answer is God gives us victory. So if I want to say no to the flesh, no to my own way, no to sin, so that I can say yes to God, I have to use, utilize, claim that victory that is in Christ Jesus. And I asked a second question, and that is who paid the price for that victory? Do you remember the answer to that one? Jesus paid the price for that victory. So while the victory is readily available to me, it's not free because Jesus already paid the price. Now, last week we looked, we started in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Look at it with me. I'm going to read it out loud to you. Romans 5, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. This is the second half of Romans 5, 20. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You remember last week I said this indicates the change in our resources after we became a Christian. Before you were a Christian, you were indeed a slave to sin. You were in bondage to sin. Now, I know, I know, I know. I, I, every once in a while I'll meet someone who says, yeah, I had this addiction. And then without God's help, just on my own, I overcame it. I, I see those stories too. But the truth is that person is still addicted to sin. Maybe not the same sin, but they're still in bondage to sin. But when you became a child of God, God broke those chains of sin for you, and you're no longer in bondage to sin. That's the change in our resources. So no matter how big of a sin or how bad of a sin or how deep of a sin you were in bondage to before you became a child of God, where Sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There's a change in our resources. So let me ask you the question, what did God give us? Victory. His grace provides the victory that we need. Now, I want to change our thinking, and I'm going to come back to this, but let me preview it for you. I want to change our thinking because sometimes we think we need to win the victory. But the truth is the victory has already been won. We just need to claim it. Use it. There's been a change in our resources. The second thing we saw, and I'm going to use Romans 6.21. We also looked at Romans 6.1. But skip over to Romans 6.21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? There's a change in our heart. The things we used to enjoy doing, the things that used to bring us 
happiness and satisfaction. The things that we said, boy, I'm going to work all week so that we, on the weekend I can do the things that I want to do. Those things often we're now ashamed of as God's children because there's been a change in our heart. We, we ought to hate sin. We ought to detest sin. It should bother us when we sin. There's been a change in our heart. And I encouraged us last week not to be satisfied with anything less than victory over sin. Don't rationalize sin. Don't make excuses for why you sin. Don't, don't say, well, I, maybe my, I do sin, but so-and-so's sin is worse than mine. No, have that change of heart that makes you say, I want complete victory. Which leads us to our third point. There's a change in our thinking. After we become children of God, we, there ought to be a change in our thinking. We need to recognize that as Christians, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Romans chapter 6, look with me at verse 11. Romans 6, 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As a Christian, we have a change in our perspective, how we look at sin and how we look at God. Now, a change in perspective can be very powerful. And uh, to help you understand the power of, of a change in perspective, let me tell you a story. Years ago, Guillermo and I, this was B.C., before COVID. Guillermo and I were visiting a, a friend of his who was a widow, an older lady. I didn't know her well. I, I hadn't been here very long. He said, hey, let's go visit her. I said, great. So we went over to her house to visit, and we had already visited several people. It had been a long day, and uh, she welcomed us into her house. She went back to get us some drinks, I think make us tea or something, and there was a bowl of cashews on the table. Now, I don't know if you know this, Guillermo really likes cashews. I think they're his favorite snack. And you tell yourself, cashews are healthy for me, right? So here he is. He's popping these cashews in his mouth. They said, now, Guillermo, our, our hostess hasn't even offered us these cashews. Maybe she doesn't want us eating the cashews. He said, no, 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 it's okay. Uh, we'll just, when she comes back out, we'll ask her. You know how Guillermo is. So he's eating these cashews. And I mean, by the time she returns, he's got about half the bowls gone. I mean, there's a noticeable dent in this bowl of cashews. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm just new to the area. I'm, I'm trying not to be an offense. So I said to the lady, I'm so sorry. We, I wouldn't have been we, but I went ahead and took some responsibility. We've been eating your cashews here out of this bowl while you were gone making us tea. She said, it's okay. She said, I love chocolate covered cashews. But ever since I've lost my teeth, I've not been able to chew the cashews. So I just sucked the chocolate off and I put the cashews in the bowl. Now... <laughs> That changes your perspective, doesn't it? I mean, Guillermo did that lady a favor. She couldn't eat the cashews anyway. No, it's not. It's not a true story. He was asking. It's not a true story. We have to have a change in perspective as Christians. We are dead to sin. And we're alive to God. It's both. It's not one or the other. Now, Paul goes over and over in this chapter. Paul helps us understand we are free from sin. Let's start in verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not 
serve sin. Skip down to verse 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. That's over Jesus. But now look in verse uh, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. We're freed from sin. As Christians, we, we, we don't have any obligation to sin. There's no reason that we have to sin. Because Jesus Christ, in dying for us, set us free from sin. So back to verse 11, likewise reckon. Now, we don't use that word reckon much in California. Some of you may be from the deep south. I, I think they still use reckon a lot. Uh, did you use reckon a lot in Texas, Lynn? No, not Texans. I don't reckon. Good, good. I had a grand, great-grandmother. She was, uh, grew up in Texas, and uh, she used reckon a lot. But that's the last person I remember using reckon consistently. This word reckon simply means to logically think about. Let's think about this logically. There's three aspects of this word reckon, and you can see it in other verses, and I'm going to give those to you. We're going to move on pretty quickly past them, but you write them down if you want to study this word out. This Greek word reckon here, in Romans 4.3, you remember the verse that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That word counted in Romans 4.3 is translated here as reckon. And it simply means to determine by a mathematical process. Now there's another aspect to this, and we see that in Philippians 4.8. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things, Philippians 4.8 tells us. Get, guess which word there is the same word translated reckon here. The word think. Change how you think. And then in 2 Corinthians 11.5, 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul says, For I suppose I was not one whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Not I suppose, like I think I might have been. No, I suppose. I de I've decided, I've determined, I consider that I am not a wit behind the very chief, chiefest apostles. So this logical thinking brings us to understand that we are dead to sin so that we can be alive to God. Now, what do we mean by dead to sin? I mean, obviously we're, we're walking about, we're breathing, we're, we're functioning, so we are alive. Yes, dead to sin means we no longer respond to sin. We're not responsive to sin. We're unresponsive to sin. One of my first jobs I had back even, even in high school, I was a janitor at a hospital. And it was, most of my, my job there was just filling in for people who are gone, absent. So I was sort of on call and they'd call me in and say, hey, so-and-so's gone today and can you fill his spot? And most of it involved sweeping and mopping and dumping garbage. It was really easy. It was sort of mindless work. On a couple of occasions, I filled in for the guy who cleaned the morgue. Hospitals have a morgue. Not much goes on there. It's a very dead place. They take the bodies. They put them there. Nothing goes on there. I mean, I didn't have to sign a non-disclosure agreement 
to not tell people what goes on in the morgue of a hospital because nothing goes on in the morgue of a hospital. Those people are dead. They're not responsive. And God says, you are dead to sin. You don't need to respond to it anymore. And conversely, you are alive to God. Reckon yourselves, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God. So if I am dead to sin, that means I'm unresponsive to sin. What does alive to God mean? It means that I'm responsive to God. I'm not, temptation is different now. I can say, no, I don't want to be tempted. But I, I, that's not int- of interest to me. That, I'm, not in, I'm just not going to do that. And in turn, I can say, God, what do you have for me to do? There needs to be a change in our thinking. Fourth, change in our resources, a change in our heart, a change in our thinking. Now a change in our choices. Once our thinking has changed, what we choose to do also changes. Look with me at verse 13, Romans 6, 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. When any of us are tempted to sin, we have a choice to make. Just like that little boy standing in the kitchen, his mother is out the door for a few minutes. He's thinking in his mind, here's my chance to swipe a cookie. He's got a choice to make. He's going to take that cookie that he's been told he can't have, or is he going to obey his mother? It's a, it's a choice that he has to make. And whenever we are tempted by sin as Christians, because we have a change in our resources, we have a choice to make. We can say no to sin in order to say yes to God, or all too often, We say no to God so we can say yes to sin. There needs to be a change in our choices. Look with me carefully at verse 13, though. It says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Now, the the word members there literally means the pieces of your body, your arms, your legs, your head, your nose. Don't yield your bodily members to unrighteousness so that you can sin but rather it says, yield yourselves unto God. Notice that before we can yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, God says, first, yield yourself to God. The first choice you're going to need to make, or the first step in the choice you're going to make, is whether you are going to serve God or not. And serving God requires to yield ourselves to God. Let me change that. To yield ourselves to God requires a relationship with Him. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to find it very easy to respond to Him because there's no relationship there. Number one, are you a child of God? Are you a son or a daughter of God? One of the verses that keeps coming to my mind, and I almost made this our our scripture reading um, for today, in the Christmas season is Galatians 4. Verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Why did... We're celebrating Christmas. This season of Christmas, which is the day we remember Jesus being born. Jesus coming to earth. 
And why did Jesus come to earth to redeem us from sin, to break us out of the jail of sin so that we could become his son, we could become his daughter? Do you have that relationship with him? Secondly, if you're going to yield yourself to God, you not only need to be his son or his daughter, but you need to be in fellowship with him as an adopted son or daughter. That's part of the reason, part of the, um, part of the uh, uh, teaching behind 1 John 3 and verse 9 that says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you're not expected to sin. You're not asked to sin. That's not part of your life anymore. Now, we do sin. That's true. But not because God wants us to sin. Not because God puts us in a position where we can't help but sin. Do you have, do you, are you a son or daughter of God? And second, are, are you in fellowship with God? Once you've yielded yourself to God, then you can yield your bodily members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God. Notice that he says, not just don't yield your members to sin. He says, also yield yourself to God. Let's call this the replacement principle. That not only do I not want to sin, I also want to serve God. Sometimes we get in this way of thinking where we're so focused on avoiding sin that we miss the purpose. The purpose of avoiding sin is not to not sin only. Not just to stay out of sin. That those are important purposes. But the focus is so that we can serve God. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Is there an activity? Is there a habit? Is there something you do in your life that you know is not pleasing to God? If you say yes, the temptation is, okay, I'm just going to cut that out. Let's use this uh, example first. Rhetorical question. I don't need you to raise your hand, but have any of you ever listened to music that you knew fed your flesh? It just made you more selfish, more angry, more worried, more sad, whatever it is. You knew that it fed your flesh. And so you said to yourself, I, I, I gotta, I've got to quit listening to this music. And you just turn the music off. Does the silence help you? Not usually. Pretty soon you think, boy, what else could I listen to? Well, here, let me just help you there. Don't just turn off the wrong music. Turn on the right music. You've got to replace the music that was dishonoring God with music that honors the Lord. That is one of the reasons. The primary reason we join and sing on, on Sundays is to worship God. A secondary reason is so that you'll have songs in your head so that you don't have to participate in the music that dishonors God. But there's got to be a change in your choices. Who determines what music you listen to? You do. You do. I don't. I don't come to your house and go through your, we don't have vinyl records anymore, but imagine, I don't go to your house and go through your vinyl records and say, get rid of these. Here, I'll get you something you should ought to listen to. I don't look at your streaming service of choice, whatever, your Pandora, Spotify, Tidal, whatever, and say, okay, don't listen to these songs anymore. Hey, listen to those songs. You make that choice. And as Christians, there ought to be a change in our choices. 
let's imagine you have a friend <coughs> and you recognize it's easy for you to see that your friend is having a bad influence on you. Whenever you hang out with this friend, you end up doing something that you regret later. So you decide, okay, I'm going to get rid of that friend. I'm just not going to hang around that person. The next time he, she calls me and says, hey, let's hang out together. I'm going to say, nope, can't do it. Maybe it's a coworker. Hey, let's go out after work. You're going to say, nope, I'm not going to do it. And you go home and you sit in your house all by yourself. Now you're lonely. No, no, don't just, and, and you should exclude people from your life that are causing you to sin. Don't misunderstand. But don't stop there. Find Christian friends that will encourage you. Don't just say, well, I'm not going out with that guy after work anymore. Say, who can I meet with tonight that, I, that will encourage me in the Lord? We call this the replacement principle. Not only do I not yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, I also yield my members as instruments of righteousness to God. There ought to be a change in our choices. Maybe you find you're watching too much of the wrong stuff, whether it's television or YouTube or whatever, TikTok. You're watching too much of the wrong stuff. So you say, I'm just going to turn it off and you don't replace it with anything. Pretty soon you're going to say, I'm so bored. Replace it with something. Replace it with Bible reading. Replace it with prayer. P replace it with listening to scripture. There's easy places where you can, free resources where you can just listen to scripture. Don't just get rid of sin. Yes, get rid of sin, but don't stop there. Replace it with something that honors the Lord. We call that the replacement principle. Yielding myself to God and yielding my body to righteousness comes from the heart. Look with me at verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Verse 17 again, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Maybe you've attended a, a church somewhere or maybe you were a part of a group somewhere where you felt all this pressure not to do this list of things and all this pressure to do a different list of things. And you come here to Elmira and you think, boy, you know, there's just not a lot of pressure here. And the reason is simple. Number one, I am too busy to put pressure on you. I've got my own set of issues I'm working on. I've got my own family I'm ministering to. I've got a whole church that I minister to. My job is not to follow up and make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You need to learn to respond to the Holy Spirit, not just to me. I'm not going to call you and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Why haven't you done this? Hey, you weren't here yesterday and we needed you here. Why not? Because if you can't obey God from the heart, you don't need pressure from me. This change in our choices doesn't come because you've got a pastor who puts enough pressure on you. Young people, it doesn't come from your parents putting pressure on you. It doesn't come from a spouse putting pressure on you. Wives, the worst thing you can do is nag your husband thinking you'll change his behavior by nagging him. You're just going to make him mad. What you need is you need to obey from the heart. Yielding to God, yielding our bodies to righteousness comes from the heart. I'm not here to manipulate you into obeying God. And I don't want anyone else in this room to attempt to manipulate you into obeying God. I want you to choose to obey God because you want to obey God. It's your choice. And there ought to be a change in our choices. 
we don't think of ourselves anymore as helpless sinners. Well, I just can't help myself. That's just a sin I have. That's just a habit I have. I, I don't know what to do about it. We are not helpless sinners. Remember our, our, our scripture reading, we are more than conquerors. So we're not helpless sinners. We are empowered saints. We have a choice to reject sin and to choose to live for God's glory. So don't be satisfied with anything less than daily victory. Don't allow your old man to make decisions for you. Don't allow your old choices to continue because I don't know what to do about it. Let me remind you our two questions. Question number one, and please answer these verbally. What did God give us? Victory. Let's try that again. What did God give us? Victory. And who paid the price? Jesus. Now we're going to get to the invitation in a moment. Last week I opened with these things and I want to close with them because they were so helpful to me. We're in a war. This is a battle against the flesh. This is a battle against our own culture and society that we live in. This is a battle against our own natural inclinations, what we normally would do. We're in a war, and so victory isn't automatic. Yes, the victory is won, and all we have to do is claim it. That's true, but there's a fight going on. And anytime you're in a fight, there's some things you can do. The first thing you want to do is plan. Have a strategy. Have a plan. If you're struggling with a sin and you feel helpless and you say, I just don't know what to do, what you need to do is reach out to a Christian brother or a Christian sister and say, help me. Here's the problem. I just keep falling into this particular sin. I can't find victory over this. What Bible verses will help me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you ask me how you're doing? Can we pray together? Have a plan. And then I mentioned enlist fellow soldiers. Pray together, train together, know the enemy's strategy. And how do we learn the enemy's strategy? By knowing God's word. Prepare. Act as if, because it's true, act as if you are more than, conquer, more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Make that change in your choices. Father, I'm grateful for the help you give us day by day, week by week, to say no to the flesh and yes to your Holy Spirit. Now I ask that you would take the truths that came out today and from your word, the truths from your word, and bring them home to our hearts. For those Christians that are living in discouragement and despair because there's a sin that consistently trips them up, I'm asking I'm asking, Father, that you'd give them hope today, that you would help them to change their thinking and to change their choices so that they no longer yield their bodies to their own flesh choices, their own sinful choices. They yield themselves to you and their body as instruments (coughs) under righteousness. Father, I ask this morning for those Christians that are consistent and and consciously living in that victory. Thank you, Father, for that victory. May we reach out to others with a helping hand, with a loving hand, and say there is hope in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. We have all the victory that we need. Here's how to claim it. Lord, we don't want to live in sin and in selfishness, so help us. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.